So talking today with Dan Brody, who is the CEO of 360, I can't pronounce it. Uh, Kulano Group is Kulano. the holding company. Kulano Group is the holding company, and, and 360 Quan. Tren. 360 Tren. And yeah. so for our readers, that's uh, in English, we would say 360 Quan, 360-Q-U-A-N.com, um, which is the incorrect Chinese pronunciation. Um, Dan's just shown me around his offices here, and um, they're pretty stunning. So um, we'll certainly talk about that and, and, and what the, the business is doing. Um, Dan also, Dan's a pretty interesting guy. He um, seems like he almost speaks Chinese better than the Chinese do. No. Certainly speaks well. Um, and is probably more integrated than most foreigners that I've come across here, um, at least from what I've seen so far. But anyway, Dan, tell us about who you are and where you grew up. Okay. Um, I wish I had a log cabin story to start out with. But no, I was uh, born and bred in Washington, D.C. Um, went to school there. Uh, all through college, graduated Georgetown uh, School of Foreign Service, studied international relations, uh, wanted to live abroad, so I studied abroad in China, um, came here in 94 in Nanjing University. After graduation, didn't know what to do with my life, so I figured I might as well get my Chinese down before doing other things. So I came out here in 96, lived in Nanjing for two years, uh, student, teacher, translator, moved up to Beijing in 98, I've uh, been here ever since. Um, you like China? I mean, you know, it's home. It's hard to say if I like it or don't. I mean, there's obviously things that make it fun to live here, but I've never decided I was going to live here for so long. It just sort of happened by accident. There have been lots of chances to move back to the States over the years, and occasionally I've uh, thought about... Every couple of years I think about going back to the States, uh, primarily when my family tries to guilt me into doing it. But every time an opportunity comes up, I think, ah, oh, but there's... Then I'd be missing out on what's happening here, and, oh, there's such a great opportunity happening in China, and so every time I just stay. Hmm. Just a little bit longer. Um, is your long-term goal to go back to the States? Who knows? Maybe. I'd love to go live in Europe at some point. Um, I think it's after living abroad for so many years, going back to the States is a bit more, is a bit of culture shock. Hmm. Uh, especially, ever, to be perfectly honest, ever since 9/11, there's such a, uh, you know, constant war over the past what has it been seven or eight years now. I mean, even though people complain about China being a police state, and you know there was these massive disturbances in Xinjiang province a couple of days ago. But there's no feeling of fear uh, living around, uh, living in China, living in Beijing. There's a, such a positive energy. It comes from 20 or 30 years of uninterrupted economic growth. Hmm. I could talk about that, but we'll try and stay on the business side. <laughs> um, so tell us, um, so you've been out here for a while. What, um, married kids? Uh, no, single. Single guy. Um, and so, single guy living in Beijing, and maybe you can tell us about um, Kulano. Actually, you, so you previously worked at Motorola and and Google. Yeah. So I uh, to do the the tech history. I started. I moved into the tech circle in 1998. Um, I started working. Uh, I ran a small office called the U.S. Information Technology Office. It's a trade association rep office um, representing the American tech industry, basically. Uh, and so I got to meet a ton of people at both at companies large and small, uh, from semiconductors to software, including everything in between, telecom equipment, uh, telecom services, uh, you know, electronic manufacturing, a lot of fun industries, um, doing both business development and government relations. After that, I moved to Motorola, uh, where I was in charge of government relations and BD, uh, director for China. And then after that, I uh, went to work for Google. Um, was first employee for Google in China. Uh, got to watch the growth, uh, which was pretty fast and pretty, pretty furious. 
and uh, stayed there for about three and a half years, and then left to join Tudo, which is the uh, sort of the YouTube and Hulu of China, uh, sort of the largest uh, online video platform in China. And uh, after a year there, I came here to Kulanu about six months ago to take over as CEO for the Kulanu Group. Cool. So um, just to give um, people listening an idea, this is... Um the offices in Shanghai tended to be um, bigger and, and nicer. In Beijing, the offices of companies have tended to be um, very much small, startup style, um, like scrimping on every every cent. Um, and so I was a little bit surprised to come into, into Dan's offices, and they're um, pretty impressive, um, almost like Silicon Valley, late 90s, like big, impressive, styling offices. Um, they're, they're impressive. Um, so I'd be interested to explain. Maybe, maybe why don't you talk a little bit about that and how that fits in with what you're doing here with Kulanu Group? So uh, Kulanu is a new media and internet investment company. And so when we took this space uh, about a year ago now, um, our founders actually have some interests in property in Europe, and so uh, as well as just an interest in design, sort of boutique hotels, and so decided that we wanted to incorporate elements from the 798 uh, factory into our office design. 798 factory is this uh, avant-garde sort of uh, art space in northeastern Beijing that's uh, an old 1950s East German industrial uh, machinery plant that's been taken over by these artists over the past few years. provides these beautiful loft spaces. And so in our office design, we basically decided two main things. One, we were going to make it as uh, large and open and loft space-like as possible. Uh, and two, we were going to put all, we were going to put bricks on all the walls because we wanted it to be a New York loft. So we wanted to have you know brick walls, actual real brick, not just painted wrong bricks. Um, so we had brick walls and open ceilings and cement floors. And uh, after that, everything it doesn't actually cost that much, but it looks really cool. That's mm. uh, very impressive. Yeah. So uh, we're pretty we're pretty happy with that. One of the things that we're happy to be able to provide is a relatively nice work environment for our employees. Hmm. And hopefully you can see some photos uh, alongside this. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about Cool Anno Group? You guys have raised a bunch of money. Um, you want to talk about how much, um, what you're doing with it, how long you've been going, how it's going, all that sort of stuff? Sure. Uh, so Cool has been going for around two and a half years, maybe three years now. And... Um, Initially raised uh, about a million or so to get started. Uh, went out and raised another four or five million. Went out and raised another twenty some million. In, over the course of uh, three or four rounds, ended up raising around thirty five million, um, of which we have sort of twenty seven, twenty eight left. Um, and our timing was incredibly uh, perfect. Actually, we raised our last round in the, the spring of '08. Uh, late spring, we closed, and so when the summer of '08, when the market started to get in trouble. Uh, we actually found ourselves situated pretty, sitting pretty because we were sitting on a, a pretty large uh, hoard of cash. Um, having come from you know, Google and Tudo, I can say that you know, the burn rate at, a, at an SNS slot, I mean, we have, under the group, we also have a browser company. We also have several other websites, gaming websites, uh, fashion websites, uh, several other websites that we, we work with. But since we're not a Google, we don't have to have thousands of machines. And since we're not a Tudo, we don't have to have massive amounts of bandwidth. So our actual costs of operations are relatively low. Um, why did you raise so much cash? I mean, that, that's an incredible amount of money, especially in China. You haven't spent that much yet. Um, it may even be hard to spend it all, would it not? 
mean, well, kind of so cheap. From our perspective, um, we're looking at it in two, in, in two ways. So the, the primary way is to grow the core businesses. And the main ways to grow uh, is by promoting our current properties as well as uh, launching new properties. Uh, so one of the ideas we had is sort of it's, it's almost like a mix between an investment model and an incubator model. Mm -hmm. And so some of those teams, you know, will just hire a bunch of kids and give them their own room and let them run with their own concept. Uh, some of those teams will actually, you know, acquire and bring over. And, and so the acquisition, you, you can build organically or you can build through acquisition. And some of those acquisitions require funding. Are you along the lines of demand media in L.A.? Is that? I don't know. Um, they seem to be like a media group that has a lot of media properties and are funding creating more properties and is I mean what what, what would be a model that in the US that we would be familiar with that uh, I'm not sure demand media sounds like sounds fairly similar but I'm not familiar with them so I can't say uh, I'd love to learn more about them uh, I'm not sure I can find a, a, an exact comparable to, to US because I haven't been following the US that closely the last decade but um I think the closest comparable to us in China is uh, Oak Pacific Interactive, okay. uh, which okay. is also one of our main competitors. Right, uh, okay. we're, we're similar to them, except a little bit smaller. Oak Pacific right, okay. raised $430 million uh, from SoftBank. Their largest property, Xiaone, is the Facebook clone of China. Um, they also have, at the time, I mean, they've probably acquired or, or built, I don't know, probably a dozen different web properties over the, over the years. Many of which they shuttered when they were failures, and they drove that traffic to their two or three relatively successful properties. Currently, they have three main properties. One, uh, one is the Xiaone is the, the, the largest Facebook clone in China. Second is Mop.com, which used to be a blog-oriented, uh, very similar to to us actually, but then went to become. They position themselves as an entertainment uh, portal, mm -hmm. so a portal focused on the entertainment space that has a very strong presence in blogs and photos and uh, user community. And then uh, most recently they launched Kaishin.com, the it's called the fake Kaishin. Yeah, um, the copy of the copy of the copy. Uh, the, the, co the, the copy of Kaishin, which has been very successful from, there, from some people's point of view in, uh, prevent, in, in hampering Kaishin 001's growth. Because mm. Kaishin 001's continued growth threatened Xiaonei's dominance. Mm. So if nothing else, the fake Kaishin does nothing beyond... Uh, tripping up or slowing down the growth of Kaishin 001, then it's achieved its strategic purpose. Hmm. Um, so you I think you should check out the man media. I uh, suspect that they have a U.S. version of what you're doing. I, they I, have, I haven't actually interviewed them. The CEO's name is Richard Rosenblatt. Um, yeah, I think, I think they're close. But anyway, um, so that's basically the model is raise a bunch of money, incubate a bunch of ideas, put out a lot of properties, look for synergies across the different properties, uh, use the fact that you have a lot of, of cash behind you to get advantages over other people. Is that, I mean, is that basically accurate? Yeah. yeah you can do acquisitions when they come up. When you see new models emerge, you can go after those. And you, you, the company was founded by an Israeli guy, right? Uh, our founder is uh, Odi Kobo. He's an Israeli, uh, born and bred in Hong Kong, uh, went to school in London, uh, you know, uh, listed his first company um, in the AIM in his early 20s. Uh, a serial entrepreneur has been right. very successful in many industries. And so you've been brought in to run the company. You're the experience management. Uh, yes, mm. yeah. I was brought in sort of as a professional manager. Mm. Um, okay, so how many different business models are you running here? I mean, what, what are the ones that are working? I know there's the 360, and I'll 
360. I'm just going to call it 360 Kwame. I can't reach out. I'm sorry. I'll, no problem. Um, 360 Kwame is a social networking for kids, right? So 360 Trend came out as a. Uh, the idea was to try to um, try to capture sort of people who are interested in similar things. So Trend means groups. So the idea was groups all across society. It would, you know, so sort of ski bums and fashionistas and. Uh, skateboarders and whatever, and they would all come and congregate. We'd give them an online community. Mm-hmm. Um, so what happened over time is that since we gave our users tools to more, more tools to express themselves for free, mm-hmm. um, we sort of uh, found ourselves uh, focusing more and more on the the young, hip, urban, creative crowd. So we found ourselves catering to. Um, hip-hop artists and break dancers and uh, cool kids, basically. And so we tried. So we said, we'll run with this. All right, we'll set ourselves up as sort of uh, with trendsetters. And so we have an editorial team that uh, tries to find cool content uh, to show the kids and try mm-hmm. to yindal, to try to uh, guide them uh, towards a certain... Uh, branding or a certain definition. And then we find cool kids on the site and we promote them onto our various channel homepages and various and onto our homepage as well. And so the kids are very into um, their self-expression. And so we've become uh, sort of an alternative, funky, cooler, edgier version um, of MySpace uh, in China. How, how much traffic does it have? So we're, we're relatively small um, by Chinese standards. Uh, yeah, which... <laughs> So, you know, I mean, in our space, the way we look at it is, uh, so, so we're, we're averaging sort of around uh, 10 million up to 15 million pages uh, a day on weekends when we spike. Um, we do sort of anywhere from half a million to a million logins per day, depending on, I mean, obviously more on weekends and vacations. So, so 15 to 30 million uniques a month? More than that. More than that. Um, depending on... Frequency of login. We end up per month. I don't usually look at, but I would say we're. I think we're around 25 or 30 million uniques a month. I would mm-hmm. say. And that's uh, your biggest prop- biggest property. That's our largest. And so property. that drives traffic then to other stuff. So you. Not necessarily. We don't drive a lot of traffic in between our properties right no. now. We don't need to. We want them to sink or swim on their own to a certain extent. Once they get to a certain level, we do we do cooperations. But we want them to be able to reach up to a certain level on their own. Um, huh, so you don't want to be propping businesses up, basically. But then once they've reached a certain level, then you look for that synergy and then push them. Right. Hmm. Um, no, I think one of the good things, uh, one of the one of the great things about our, our culture here is um, allow things to. We, we want to let a, a, a hundred flowers bloom, is the Chinese saying. But Chinese see, product. and that's I mean, and that's the incubator model in the U.S., which Idea Lab, Lab did in the late '90s, and generally was a big failure, except they got one which was. Um, Overture, right? That was a big that was a big success, but the incubator model really hasn't worked in a lot of places, or has it? Right. I don't think we're necessarily doing so much the incubator model because we're not we don't have kids college kids coming in pitching us ideas. Uh, we look at our properties and we try to find synergies across our properties and we say, all right, we want to get into that space. It's very competitive, but we want to get in. And we try it for six months and if it fails, we kill it. And if it works, then it graduates to the next level. And then we look at another space and we say, all right, that space isn't so interesting. But nobody's doing it right now. But, you know, and if you do it and you do it really well, then you can find something interesting about it. So let's try that. And if it works, then it graduates next level. And it doesn't, we kill it. So the, one of the great things about the culture, I think, here is that we've generated an atmosphere where things can be 
a thousand flowers can bloom, but that means you have to let some of them die. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily call it an incub- incubator model. Sort of like can you give an example of a company that's successfully brought businesses out of something like that? Uh, like I said, I think Oak Pacific is... I think uh, in the Chinese internet space, I can think of lots of examples. I don't know very much about the internet. So that's a model that's working well in China, is it? If you look at... Uh, um, oh, this is arguably different, but for instance, Alibaba was able to launch many other properties, um, spin-offs from mm-hmm. Alibaba. Uh, that have now become huge companies in their own right. right. And they continue to do that, to launch new and new uh, properties under the umbrella. But that, of course, they already had one extraordinarily strong company um, to build it. Oak Pacific sort of used a lot of small companies and acquisitions to build up their one big company, mm. um, which they're now using to sort of solidify in one space. Uh, QQ has continued to launch new services and move into new areas, but all under the QQ umbrella. Mm. They don't call them separate companies. But in fact, when QQ launches a new service, it's de facto competing with an entire you know, section of the internet industry in China mm. because QQ is so large. Right. You know. um, how do you get good managers to run these? I mean, who runs 360 Quan? Is that you or is, that, is, is there a CEO of that, of that division? And who runs all of these and how do you make sure they're capable and really focused and all that sort of thing? No, so we, we the management team here owns and operates all the... We, we run each of the properties ourselves, uh, so we get somewhat diffused. Basically, what we what I try to do is give as much power to the engineers as possible. Mm-hmm. And um, the larger properties, obviously, we spend the management team spends more time on. But the newer properties, we sort of give the engineers free reign to run with. They, you know, they've got an idea, or we've got an idea. We talk it out, we hash it out. We give them, okay, here, here you get half of a half of a designer and a quarter product person and two engineers, and you guys got two months go. You know, we'll we'll support you. I mean, we'll you know we'll buy all the URLs for you, and you know fill out all the legal paperwork, and set you up with a payment channel so you can do your e-commerce or whatever it is you need. You know, we'll send people out to do deals with other websites to bring you you know uh, barter traffic. Or so is that the engineers doing that, or is that like product management type people? Or? No, that's sort of the way we've structured it. So each of the functional areas can provide that, uh, do provide that to multiple customers, as it were. But there's only three or four areas that need to really be involved. To as much of the extent as possible, I like to keep the engineers alone. You know, uh, what's it called? Isolated, I guess. Do not feed the engineers. So that they can just work on the so next product they, releases, and then they're shielded from all the legal and everything else that goes on. Exactly. So they don't have to worry about all that crap. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. I'm not allowed to curse. Curse as much as you want. All right. And so this is. Um, I mean, so it really is kind of like, I mean, I don't know, is, is incubator the right word? If, I mean, you, you are, you are, you are, you're really just optimizing and split testing a lot of different business models at the same time. I consider myself more of a greenhouse administrator mm. than an incubator. We walk around the greenhouse and give water to this and give water to that and give water to this, you know, and try to make sure prune a little bit here. And so 360 Quan is, is working but hasn't, like, gotten massive yet. Um, so I guess you're hoping that in the next year or two something's going to really like explode. Not necessarily. Um, so the way I look at the social networking space in China is so there, it breaks down to two main areas for us here. Uh, there's Shuiminzhi, real name systems, which are basically Facebook clones, and then Shuiminzhi, which are uh, anonymous or fake name systems, which mm-hmm. are MySpace clones. Uh, so on the real name space, the largest is Xiaonei, then you have. Kaishin's are one, I have kaishin.com. Uh, 
on the fake name space, excuse me, the largest you have is QQ, um, which is, you know, top 10 website in the world now. Um, then uh, 51, company based in Shanghai, uh, and then us. We just passed myspace.cn a couple months ago. Um, mostly because myspace.cn is for the phone part of China. But anyways, um, within the community space, you don't need to be the largest. You can be a nice little niche community, niche community and build uh, services for your users and generate nice income off of those users and off of those advertisers because you have a niche space. So for us, we're mostly focused on what's called Joding Ho or uh, after 1990s kids. These are young kids, kids born 1990, 91, 92. That um, the other website, that there's a cultural and generational gap in Chinese culture between these kids and kids born in the 80s. Mm. These are kids born after, you know, after 15 years of reform, after the Tiananmen incident. I mean, most of them don't even know what Tiananmen was, for foreigners at least. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of angst-ridden, hand-wringing and Chinese sort of popular psycho-sociological journals about what's happening to the, next, the kids these days, the next generation. It's so crazy. They're so different from us. Um, so... We're, that's our target market. That's our branding. That's most of our users. So our users are actually a totally different network than Xiaonei, which is mostly students. Kaishin 001, mostly white-collar office workers. Um, 51, which is mostly sort of third and fourth tier city um, kids. You know, we have a very specific niche. And our niche is very attractive to advertisers on the one hand, and also very willing to spend uh, currency on virtual goods on the mm -hmm. other hand. And so most of the Revenue in the Chinese, most of the most of the the most successful business model in SNSs in China is actually not advertising or branded apps or anything like that, or microtransactions or anything like that, but actually uh, virtual goods being sold to users right. to pimp out their MySpace page, as it were. Right. But it's their QQ page or their 51 page or their Sunling Trend page, and so that's where we generate most of our revenue from. And we can be a very successful business operation even if we only have you know, whatever, 5 or 10% of the market. We don't need to be a market leader for that. That's a nice little business right there. One of the, um, well, do you want to, can you talk about, like, revenue and stuff now? Or is, you, can you talk about any financials? Obviously, there's been some big investments made. Uh, yeah, we don't, I mean, we don't discuss financials publicly. Uh, okay. But we have, I think, uh, we, have, we have a good trajectory, you know. We've seen financials grow leaps and bounds, you know, this year, but it's easy to grow by uh, high rates when you're growing from a low base. Uh, so I would expect us, um, if we absolutely needed to, we could probably reach break-even, uh, we could reach run rate break-even by the end of this year, mm. um, but I'd rather not push it uh, to, to reach break-even faster because that would slow my overall growth. Like, I could reach break-even, but I'd be stuck at sort of a, you know, 5 or 10 million users level. But what I want to do is, you know, keep investing in the business, get up to a sort of 50 or 60 million users level uh, would be, you know, I think. And still, I'd only be 10 or 20% of the Chinese market. So that'd still be a niche play in China. But that'd be a much bigger base to play with and then focus on monetization. So I want to ask you a question that is a really big question for me. Um, and I know some people will be interested in this. Is I've noticed through my interviews and talking with a lot of people that some of the models that work the best is when there are a lot of business models tested at once. Um, MySpace came out of Intermix, where Intermix was testing a lot of different stuff at once, and they just tried MySpace because they wanted to 
get the traffic knocking off Friendster and they just did it and suddenly it exploded and then the, the entire value from that company came out of MySpace. Um, Tagged was a little incubation e- uh, effort uh, by Greg Singh and a couple of guys in the Bay Area and they tested about 10 different ideas. They were running 10 companies at once. This was their thing and they were going to run 10 businesses. They ended up um, shutting down all the other nine businesses and focusing on Tag. Um, I can't talk about Tag and how it's doing but they're doing like rather well. Um, and Zappos was uh, an investment from uh, Tag, T-A-G-G-E-D. Um, Zappos was a, an investment from Tony and Alfred that when they were do, running a, a, their VC in San Francisco. It was the one that they liked the best out of all the companies they invested in, and so they took off with it. Um, it's, it's, I've noticed it's a very powerful model to have exposure to a lot of different businesses that are actually operating and running and then getting focused on the ones that work. On the other, so that works, and I know that, that side works. On the other side, I know there's these incubators where, um, that happened like during the late 90s where there's these businesses that get a ton of money, try a lot of stuff, but they end up with not very motivated employees who just end up spending all this money. And these businesses get tested and, but don't work. Where do you guys fit on that and how is what you're doing going to work? And what, like, can you maybe just give me your thoughts on that? That's really, yeah, that's really helpful. Um, I didn't know so much about the, the other companies, so that's really actually helpful to hear. That's a, that's a long thesis I have. I can tell you about it afterwards. Um, I'd, I'd love to hear more about it. A lot of detail. Because I think that um, I'd agree with a lot of things you just said. I think that uh, you know we want to test a lot of things and you know throw the spaghetti against the wall and see what works. Because in my experience, it seems that it seems really hard to, no matter how smart you are, it seems really hard to predict what's going to be successful. I mean, one of the things I learned at Google is that you have all these incredibly smart people sitting around but they don't dare to uh, presume to know what the user wants. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is to put it up, test, adjust, put it, and to be able to iterate quickly is, is right. the most important thing. Um, but the other thing is it's really hard to guess beforehand what's going to be the breakout success. Right. Um, and quite often the, it's the most successful thing. So like, for instance, on our website, we have something called PK. So PK is this common term in Chinese modern slang, uh, which comes out of online gaming, which is basically to go one-on-one against somebody, to duel you know, think like cowboys in the old west dueling one on one in the street. Um, and so, to PK somebody or to PK with somebody has become a verb in Chinese that means to go one on one. So what we did, we set up PK for people with their photos. And it's something that our website had, no other website had, and it was a huge. It, it took off. Mm. And we a PK for us only lasts seven days. And you know, most votes, like if I put a picture up there, it'll be you know sort of 15 to 25 votes or 40 to 22 votes. But when a lot of the online clans get together and PK against each other, they'll get 50,000 versus 80,000 votes or 120,000 versus 140,000 votes within a single week. Now, these are people, kids online, who are going crazy over PK. And this PK, this entire PK function of ours was one engineer one afternoon was like, hey, this would be fun, let's build it, and built it in like three hours. Now, I can't base a business model or an entire company on that happening on a regular basis. Right. But I can set up platforms for seven or eight companies where that's happening at the same time. And whenever I see something like that happen, to run with it. So PK is now, you know, I don't know, probably 10, 12% of our overall site traffic. And it accounts for a, a higher portion of our site's monetization because we allow users to buy multi-votes by spending virtual currency. And it's amazing what kids are willing to spend in order to come out ahead uh, of somebody else. 
Are you, I mean, is that your basic goal? Would you like to have a MySpace or something come out of this and then shut everything else down and just focus on that? Not necessarily. Um, I'll spin them off or whatever, but really focus on the one that's got explosive growth. Yeah, no, I, I think we certainly have the capacity here to keep focus on... We can keep multiple balls in the air at any given moment. Um, so for us right now, we have two relatively large uh, platforms. I hope by the end of the year to add a third relatively large platform uh, to our collection uh, to keep pushing. Um, so I, I don't see why there's any reason why we can't have... Like right now we have four websites with, with traffic in the hundreds of thousands per day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's not... Not huge, but it's not nothing to sneeze at. You know, we've got a new website. We launched a directory website uh, three or four months ago called 9949s. Directory websites are very popular in China. It's not huge. It's not going to provide breakout growth, but it's uh, a very simple and direct monetization model. Um, search and uh, then you, you sell the, the placements on the dire- within the directory uh, to other partner companies. Incredibly common in China. Used by almost all. Um, net, all, all netizens in internet cafes, which is more and more of the new Chinese netizens these days, uh, because they don't know URLs, they can't remember how to type romanized URLs in the address bar, so they use directory websites. So mm-hmm. we set up a directory website, which takes like a half hour of work, and then you know push it out through all the channels, and it starts to monetize, and it's generating revenue from day one, mm-hmm. and it's half a, half an engineer's work. You know, it's uh, you know there's so many opportunities like this in the Chinese internet. The, the, the major challenge we face is, I think, as you alluded to earlier... Is, when you say uh, it's generating revenue, though, how much revenue is that generating? I mean, you know, in the tens, tens of thousands, you know, in the thousands or tens of thousands of revenue a day. You know, I mean, that's, that's okay. That's respectable. That's a small company. Hmm. Um, but the biggest challenge, I think, which you alluded to earlier is uh, management focus. Right. Because you mentioned all these, all these uh, entrepreneurs who at a certain point decided to pour all of their amazing energy and focus onto one platform to make right. sure it succeeds. I almost wonder whether it, it's which comes first, the entrepreneur or the business model. I think it's a lot of times it's actually the business model and the, the guys see that they're the ones that are working and go for that. Like, <laughs> Yeah, could uh, be. Could be. I, I, you know, I, at this point in time, I'm more focused on trying to grow everybody at the same time. We're, we're not running out of cash. We're not, you know, we're, we're in the fortunate position that we raise money at the right time, and so we're not running out of cash right now. So we can let things run for another year, and then we can start picking and choosing which ones are going to be our champions. And but for now, to try to grow everything because we want to maximize value. So then, on that point, how do you know that your um, guys are executing really that well compared to if they were like doing it themselves, um, and they knew that uh, everything was on the line? You guys are here in comfortable office space. They're taken care of. They know they're going to get paid tomorrow. They know the company is financially secure. They know if it fails, well, you know, Dan's a nice guy. He'll just move me on to the next thing. No big deal. Well, that you have put your the nail on the head. That is a major, major challenge that we have here. And the way I get around that is basically by not being a nice guy. I don't move people on to new projects. So if their project fails, they move on. Uh, so we have. Uh, you know, we try to encourage a, a, an entrepreneurial spirit here, where people need to, you know, you eat what you kill, which means you occasionally need to go out and kill something. Uh, so, we have uh, uh, one of the things that one of the things I've discovered, but one of the problems of having an office that's too nice 
in an environment that's too nice is that people do have that tendency to drift. Right. Um, it's a challenge. You know? But uh, I think on the whole, uh, Chinese people, in my experience, um, are incredibly hardworking. Uh, much, and I, I, I hate to say this uh, if it's being recorded, but in, in a certain extent, much more hardworking than Americans. Oh, I'll say it. Uh, Chinese, uh, I'll say it loudly, Chinese are much harder working than Americans. These guys are, like, I think they're more entrepreneurial than Americans, and I don't mean to offend you, and I'm a <laughs> number one fan of the U.S., but you guys have got to come out here and check out what's going on in China because it's insane. Yeah, I, uh, I, I go back to the United States and I visit, you know, um, I visit people in the, in the U.S. And obviously, Google is the exception that proves the rule. But most other American corporations I worked at, people get off work at five or six. I've been working over a decade in China. I've never gotten off work at five or six. Mm. I've never known anyone who got off work at five or six. I've never even known anybody who asked to get off work at five or six. It's just, you know, there's just a, there's an energy in this place that's not like anything I've ever seen. Yeah. So on, on any given night, eight or nine p.m. in our office, you know. A third of the office is still here, mm. and compared to other offices, I think actually we're we're not that hardworking. I know other startups where the entire team is there until midnight every night. But these guys don't have the upside, or do they? Like, how do they do? They know if their property that they're working on really takes off, are they gonna? What do they get? No, they definitely. You know, everybody shares in the upside. You know, we'll definitely we definitely take care of our people. Um, uh, do they know hit some big objective and they'll? get $10,000? Or do they know that if something turns into a $200 million property, they'll get a million dollar cash bonus? I mean, do you have that kind of incentive in place? Or how do you incent them? We're not that rich. So we don't Yeah, but I mean, if you, you, could, you could have some $100, $200 million businesses come out of what you're doing here, right? I mean, that, that's, that's right. really conceivable. And if we have a $100, $2 million business, when we're at that point, you know, like, you know, when I was at Google, we passed the billion-dollar mark and we started giving out founders awards, mm-hmm. you know. So, yes, certainly, once we get to that point, we'll start, you know, rewarding our people uh, with comparable. I, I think what we do is we reward our people with comparable. But do you have things set in place now, or is this like we may do nice things in future? No, we give awards, but... I think at much lower levels than what you're talking about. Uh, we do give awards for successful product launches, successful teams that um, you know increase stability, you know reduce uh, page loading speed. We have a relatively what, what I what I found works uh, what I found works very well in uh, a bunch of the Chinese companies that I've worked for, and maybe this is not specific to Chinese companies, but uh, sort of. Daily and regular recognition of people's hard work is more important than uh, anything else. Mm. Um, now, we do have annual sort of awards that go out, annual award ceremonies uh, that go out for people who have done truly spectacular things. But we're not yet running a $100 million business. So we haven't had to give out any of those $10 million awards yet. Uh, I would love to be able to give out you know, massive uh, cash and or stock awards uh, for creating huge businesses. Um, but first we need to finish creating them. Yeah, sure. No, I mean, and you know, hopefully it will happen. Um, okay, so I want to ask you another question in that you're a um, tall white guy. Um, you obviously speak pretty excellent Chinese, um, and you understand China better than most, but you are not Chinese, and um, you're not a, a Chinese kid born after 1990. And um, I would have thought, I mean, my feeling for me, if I came here... Um, and tried to do business in China that I don't understand most things here, and so these guys would eat me alive. Um, why are they not eating you alive, or are they? I mean, how can you understand the Chinese mindset 
really, really well, given that you're a white guy? Well, I mean, there's two aspects I'd, I'd look at it. One is sort of the product side, and the other is the business side. Uh, so on the product side, actually, since our product is geared towards you know young Chinese urban hipsters, um, I try not to interfere too, interfere, interfere too much in the uh, uh, the product specifics. But I do spend a lot of time working on the product sort of fundamentals. Things like the page should load quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there should be an, a logical flow for the for the project for the product. Which and okay, you tell me the Chinese people want to have. Uh, more buttons as opposed to, you know, they don't want a clean interface. They want lots of buttons and, and the option to go lots of places. is fine. Lots of buttons is fine, but the buttons need to go somewhere. You should, there should never be a page where you where it's a dead end, where you end the page and there's no button to go anywhere after that. Uh, things like that, you know, so whether or not the button should be red or blue or top or bottom or left or right, I mean, things like that I try to stay out of. Uh, and whether or not we should offer this type of service or that type of service uh, to users, I tend to try to stay out of, stay out of as well. Um, now, when it comes to the business side, though, you know, these are things that are not dependent on nationality. Uh, for instance, we work with uh, uh, we work with partners, payment channel partners, um, to you know collect payments from our users, and we have dozens of partners. And it's a it's a bitch to manage. Oh, sorry, uh, it's <laughs> it's a it's a complete <laughs> bitch to manage uh, payment channel partners in China uh, because all of them are collecting money on your behalf from users, and they are then figuring out ways to not pass as much as they should on to you. And so they'll tell you they didn't actually charge the user for this amount. But then the user complains that they did charge them for that amount. Mm. And so there's this constant sort of go back and forth between them. And this is not nationality specific. This is just working in the wild west of Chinese capitalism. This is you just have to cover your ass at all times and you know be aware that everybody's going to try and screw you in some way or the other. And know, it helps to know some of those tricks because you've been screwed before, you've screwed other people before, and so know how to handle them. Uh, so on the business side, I don't think nationality is a, a big thing. Now there, there's obviously going to be uh, different networks, you know, that, um, that sort of uh, support each other. And there's a, there's a lot of I think there's too much ink spilled on the question of whether or not white people or black people or non-Chinese, non-PRC native yellow people can succeed in China. Um, my best advice on this is to read Jonathan Spence's book called To Change China, which is actually his, I think it was his graduate thesis, book about uh, foreigners coming to China and trying to change China beginning in the, I think, 14 or 1500s, going on through the 1900s. And, um, you know, vignettes of 12, 15 guys who came to China and tried to change China. And his central thesis, if I remember it correctly, is none of them actually changed China, but in the end, China changed them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't have any... Messianic or missionary, missionary, messianic, missionary uh, objectives in trying to change China. Uh, I think that my experience here has changed me quite a bit, and you know whether or not one can be effective, I think is sort of a red herring argument. Because if foreigners could be effective in China, then they would have all left a long time ago, right? Yeah, I just, I, I'm, I mean, this is a point we were talking about before, and I. Um, I'd like to see more foreigners who are being wildly successful here, which I haven't seen yet. I think that uh, I think the percentage of the population that is wildly successful in any society is incredibly small, mm. and there's very few foreigners in China. By comparison, but as a percentage of the population, what is the percentage of? It's probably I don't know anymore, but I, I used to 
I think there's uh, half a million foreigners in Beijing, of which half of those are Korean and Japanese. So mm-hmm. a quarter million sort of Europeans, Americans, you know, uh, Africans, Latin Americans, South Asians, etc. Um, so at those numbers, yeah, it's going to be pretty hard to have like some. I mean, how many companies? How many Chinese? Well, companies to anyone listening, they're like, "Wow, a quarter of a million people—that's a lot." But when it's out of 1.36 billion, then it's really insignificant. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, Beijing's—you know—a town of 15, 20 million people, depending on how you count it. So, you know, for, yeah, for us, anything below a million is a rounding error, right? So 100,000 people is like no big deal. It's like a—it's like my cousin's house, you know. I mean, so uh, hmm. you get a good perspective. Um, I've asked you a lot of questions. Is there anything that you want to talk about which we haven't covered? Uh, I would briefly also mention the, our browser, okay. um, IQ Browser. So uh, we have a browser called the IQ Browser. Mm-hmm. Um, came out of Alpha about six months ago, launched it, still in beta. Um, it's a browser based uh, on, uh, on the idea that kids who don't own their own PCs will go to an internet cafe and log into all their online services would like to keep all their passwords logged in in their, in their browser. Like RoboForms? Maybe. Don't know what RoboForms is. That's RoboForms on the PC, which stores all your passwords. On the Mac, it's uh, one password. Could be. Although the main point is not to store passwords. Uh, the main point is to provide sort of a home for you. In the home, you can keep your bookmarks, mm-hmm. uh, keep your passwords, uh, keep signed into various online services. Mm-hmm. Uh, so any pictures you've seen, any pictures you've viewed, you can save. Any music you've listened to, you can save as a quick link. Any videos you've watched before, you can save. Or if you want to just scroll through like radio or popular music or videos in the sidebar of the um, sort of entertainment-oriented things. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, uh, what is it in the States? Uh, there's a browser, Flock. It's very right. similar to Flock, okay. except Flock is focused on information because mm-hmm. Americans are very much about producing and consuming information. A power mm-hmm. user in America is going to be posting to lots of blogs. Uh, it's very very focused on you know integration of RSS readers and posting to blogs and things like that. Whereas the Chinese user is much younger and much more focused on entertainment. So the most important things here are um, instant messenger chatting, um, uh, music, video, mm-hmm. and then after that. You know, distant sort of fourth is a, you know sort of search, and email, and sort of news, and information-oriented things mm-hmm. are much lower on the priority scale. So uh, it's been out for six months. We've got over a quarter million daily users now, approaching half a million. Um, so we're pretty happy about that. Um, it's uh, got we opened up the the platform to third-party add-ons, so third-party developers can submit um, their widgets, and their add-ons, much like Firefox. how many users do you have in the browser? Uh, about three hundred and. 300, over 300,000, 350,000. We're on track to reach 500,000 by next month. Is that, I mean, in, in China, that's like not really very many though, right? We're, it's around 1% market share. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh. We're approaching 1%, we're, we're approaching 1% market share, I think. Um, there's a, no, no, I'm sorry. We're, we're, we're approaching 1% market share. We should approach 1% market share by Q3. Yeah. 300 million internet users in China. So 1% would be 3 million users? Well, actually, it's how many PCs are connected to the Internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way you measure, we measure browser shares and the number of PCs. And I think the number of PCs connected to the Internet now is around 90 million, 80 million, or 90 million, something mm-hmm. like that. How will you monetize that through search? Uh, primarily through search, yes. Um, and as a Google guy, I guess you do know how to do that. Well, we did negotiate a few of these deals at Google, yes. Mm-hmm. So there are also other ways to monetize the browser. For instance, we have um, 
browser schemes um, that we have integrated into various advertising campaigns for some of our tech-oriented clients. Hmm. Cool. Um, anything else you want to talk about? No, I think that's. Anything else you want to? No, I'm, ask I'm, I'm out of questions. Which sure. um, that doesn't. That, that's not that easy to get to. So Dan, thanks very much for your interview. All right, thank you.